Father Sanjeev. In Second Chronicles 20 tonight, talking about how to win the battles of life, and life certainly has its share of battles. I just want to read a few verses here. Let me read verses 1 through 5, chapter 20. After this, yes, thank you, stand God's honor. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, Lord, life is hard. And sometimes the battle we face, we get turned around. And we miss you, Lord. As we look at the example of Jehoshaphat, Father, may our hearts turn to you. As we look at these simple principles, Father, that we find in this account in your word. Father, I just pray that we too, Lord, would look to you instead of what we face, Lord. Guide us in the time that we're together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It says in Ephesians six eleven to 12 that the battle we fight is more than we see or detect. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sometimes we think the battle is just a person. But it never is just a person. I remember one time in my life, I was, well, to be honest with you, I was kind of cynical. Just didn't really want to trust anybody. And somebody was trying to make a business deal with me, and I told him, I said, at this point, I wouldn't trust my own mom. And, you know, he was trying to cheat me. So (laughs) I found out that. The way that it goes. And to be honest with you, you know, it's really disappointed my heart to watch the debates, the political debates, because all of the candidates are acting, well, there's a couple that aren't, but a lot, at least the major candidates are acting like children. You know? Well, you're dumb. Well, you're ugly. And, you know, and there's just really no room for that. And among God's people, we we need to remember that there's a bigger battle than just a personality. It's more than just this person and that person. There is a spiritual battle that goes on around us. And the Bible says that there are three enemies we need to be aware of. There's the world system, which is opposed to God. And as we look around us, you know, that's the messages that tend to flow uh, all around us. And then there is the devil, the enemy, of course, that 
He's described as a roaring lion. He's snooping around looking for who he may devour. He'd like to chew all of us up. And then the third is the sinful nature. In other words, it's the sinful part of me. It's not your fault. It's mine. I love that uh, article that G.K. Chesterton, there was a uh, an editorial that said, write in to tell us what's wrong with the world. And he wrote back and he said, it's me. And to very real truth, that is a lot where the problem lies. And we need to be able to identify the real enemy. Too often in the church, we begin to attack people or we begin to attack other churches or we begin to attack other ministries. And that's not our call. It's not our goal. And as you look here in the first couple of verses, he identified the enemy said, a vast army is coming against you. And he names in verse 1 uh, the people, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Munites. He was able to specifically name those armies, those people that were coming against him. And we too need to be able to identify clearly though that it's more than just people. Secondly, I want you to notice, to not be driven by emotions. Verse 3, it says, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He was alarmed. He was afraid, as we read later on. And it is easy to be controlled by our emotions and to be happy and buy everything when we feel good or to be sad and never get out of bed and do anything when we're depressed and to be controlled by how we feel. Some people are controlled by their temper. And, of course, that is dangerous as well. Uh, Billy Sonny, the great evangelist of another era, it was said that uh, he had preached a message on not losing your temper on anger. And a lady came up to him and said, I don't lose my temper often, very rarely. But when I do, I I blow up and then it's all over. And his answer to her was, well, so does a shotgun. It blows up and causes a lot of damage. And so anger, when it's out of control, it may not be long, but it can last and cause a lot of pain and difference in that. James 1 verse 19 gives us this counsel. My dear brothers... Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I love that. The first thing is just listen for once. Before you have to tell everybody what to do, would you listen? And just be slow to speak and to be angry. Wise advice, and it goes on to say in the next verse, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God so desires. And so we need to keep that under control. Second Timothy 1, 7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. He's given us the ability to have self-control. Number three, I want you to notice, take your problems to the Lord. Where he ran when he saw the, the problems that he was about to face, 
I love this. It says, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. When Jehoshaphat learned that three nations were coming against him, he was afraid. But instantly, he set himself to seek the Lord. He was smart enough to realize that he needed God's help. And and look at verses 6 through 12. It's beautiful as it describes his pursuit of the Lord. As he spoke, he said, Oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who's in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it, have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes... Are upon you. And that leads to the fourth truth here. God admits you need help. And there's no better place to run than to God. Because He's the ultimate source of help. I love that in Zechariah 4, verse 6, where it says, It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. No better place to run when we're in the midst of a great, great struggle. I always uh, remember years ago uh, listening to this guy, Mike Warnicky. He was popular when I was a teenager. But I'll never forget on one of his tapes, he was a comedian, one of his tapes he talked about those days where you're so distraught that you just walk into your house and you see the carpeted hallway and just hit the floor and all the way down the hall it's... God, help. Sometimes you don't have to be eloquent. Sometimes you just got to pour your heart out to God and say, I don't have an answer, God, and I need your help. You see, the only kind of person that doesn't receive God's help is the one who doesn't recognize he needs God's help. And the truth of the matter is, we all need God's help. It says in James 4, verse 6, we talked about this morning, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the one that cries out to him. Number five, rely on God's power. Do you notice what he admitted there in verse 12? He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Too often we've got our eyes on circumstances and it's like a mattress. If we're on top, we rest easy. But if we're underneath, we're suffocating. And we're not called to be suffocating underneath the circumstances. 
We're called to rest on top, trusting him, keeping our eyes and our minds there. As I quoted this morning from Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Now, I want to dissect that for just a moment. He says, Thou wilt, it's a promise, keep him, keep you and me in perfect peace. And, And who is it that he will do that for? To the one whose mind is stayed on thee. To the one who is able to look to God. And to see that God loves me. God is in control. And even though I can't quite figure any of this out. Even though I feel hopeless and I feel helpless and I feel hapless. The truth of the matter is God is all powerful. And I'm going to look to him for my strength. Because in him is everlasting strength. And that leads us to the next one here. Which is to relax in faith. It's great... um, after Jehoshaphat shares his heart and he gives this praise to God and he gives his confident belief that God is going to come through and deliver them and rescue them. Verse 13, it says, what a picture. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. I would have loved to have been there. They looked out and everywhere they could see were people standing Trust in the Lord. Making a statement by standing. And evidently when God's Spirit saw that, it moved him too. Verse 14, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march against them. You know, when we first come to Christ, um, it's so easy to feel like, you know, God's just really lucky to have me. I mean, I'm going to do all this great work for God. I'm going to serve him, and and uh, it's just going to be so awesome. And and I remember when I first came to Christ, um, and I, you know, oh boy, so misguided. I thought I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm going to be something for God. And and I read about Charles G. Finney, this evangelist that literally walked into a factory, and people just started getting saved. Well, I thought if he can do that through some old guy in the 1800s or whatever it was. Why not me? So I prayed and I fasted. And I went into that factory thinking, in faith, well, nothing happened. But I just uh, said, God, I'll just try to live for you. You know, the truth is, no matter how much I think I got it together, when I really start walking with God, You know what he shows us? We don't have it together. He shows us that we need a Savior. And we may start out thinking we can attack hell with a squirt gun, but sooner or later we realize that we need God. 
it tells us in James 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, all this stuff about spiritual warfare, it begins with submitting before God. If there's going to be anything that happens that matters, God's going to do it. It's not going to come from merely any of us. It's got to be within his power that it comes. You know, we can get so discouraged and say, God, I'm so sorry I let you down. But God replies, you didn't let me down because you weren't holding me up. We were never, we've never been holding God. You know what? God is not dependent on you or me. He'll make it without us. It hurts, but it's true. He is God. He wants us to know, hey, I'm holding you up. You can find strength and you can find rest and you can find power in me. The words of Jesus, he said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But what's the next part say? I bet some of y'all know. Right. Without me, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's being vitally connected to me. Um, I remember years ago, I talked to, uh, oh, Cindy pulled this on. We had some uh, Mormon missionaries come to the door. and She said, I can't talk to you, but my husband will talk to you. So they, they came, they came in the house, and I said, "Okay, guys, here's the deal. I don't believe any of your other books are inspired of God, but I will talk to you about the Bible as much as you want to talk about the Bible." So they came for a long time. It was weeks they would come, and it was kind of funny because I never told them I was a preacher. But we we would we would talk about the scriptures, and finally they came, and they you know they're like. You're just impossible. We just don't know. But anyway, I can remember, and I'm sharing all this because um, God gave me an illustration to use with them, making me think about fruit on a tree. I said, you know, let's say that you had an apple tree had no apples. For some reason it didn't bloom, but, you know, you go to the store and you get some apples, and let's say you tie them to the tree. You know, it's a Tape them to the tree. I don't know. Get them on the tree somehow. Look at that. The the tree has apples. But guess what? The apples don't grow. The apples won't be fit to eat after a while. They begin to rot. Why? Because they're not truly connected to the tree. You see, as the tree grows and it produces blooms and then the blooms turns into fruit and it grows, all that happens because it's vitally connected to the tree and it's growing. And our works, not connected to Christ... They don't have any life. They don't give us eternal life. What gives us eternal life is not our fruit. It's being connected to Jesus, who is the tree of life, who is our life. Colossians 2, 6 tells us, So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. How did we come to Christ? How did we receive him? With nothing of our own. The only way to come to God and receive salvation is to say, I need forgiveness. I don't have anything to bring to you that will impress you, God. 
I need a Savior. That is the key. It's coming to Him with that understanding that I need you, God. I fully need you. That's the way that we come to Him. Verse 17, He says, You'll not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm. See the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow. And the Lord will be with you. To stand firm is to realize that my life is found in His life. John 17, verse 3, says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you and your Son. That's eternal life, to know Jesus. As, uh, one last one here. Um, thank God in advance. You may not understand exactly what God is up to, but we need to be in the habit of gratitude. We need to be able to say, God, I thank you for what you will do and how you will provide. I want to thank you for how you will bless And even though I don't feel very blessed at the moment because I'm hurting, you are up to something. And that's how I intend to live, God, is with an attitude of gratitude. It's very interesting as you um, look through the rest of our chapter here. As the battle is about to begin, and Jehoshaphat is told, you just need to watch me go, watch me work. And he gives a plan to the king that he shares with the people. It was a strategic battle plan that great generals of the past probably wouldn't have been too impressed with. But he said, Choir, uh, for our battle plans, I want you to meet for a couple hours up here in the choir loft, and we are going to sing praises to God. And I want you to sing loud, and I want you to sing with all your heart, because that's going to be your weapon. So picture the scene. You know, you got this valley and you got these two mountains. On one mountain, you got these three armies who are ready to attack Israel. And on the other side, instead of mighty warriors, these guys and gals. And, well, anyway, they're in their prayer robes, their praise robes, their choir robes. And as they come down, they begin singing. Not a typical battle strategy. But look what it tells us. It's pretty awesome. Verse 21, it says, After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sarah who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Sarah to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Sarah, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value. More than they could take away, there was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it.
And the point I get out of this is not the devastation of war, but the fact where they started was praise. What a way to live. In anticipation of what God wants to do. It was said of William Carey, uh, the missionary, uh, his favorite saying was, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. He lived with a full heart, but it was with a great sense of anticipation that God was up to more than he could possibly accomplish. You see, God brought this victory because he wanted people to see, this wasn't you. This was me. And when he brings his blessings, and when he brings his victory, we're able to look back and praise him. Sometimes not even when we're in the battle, but when we're able to look back at one point and praise him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this account in your word. The battles come. And Father, we need to keep our eyes and heart upon you. Thank you, Father, for the wisdom in your word in facing these battles. Thank you, Father, for the truth that you give us. I don't know, Father, the needs represented here tonight. But I pray that you might minister to all of us, Lord. And help us not to be under the circumstances suffocating. But, Father, to see you and to rest in you on top. And I pray, Father, you guide us there, that your spirit might minister and lead us according to where you want us to be and where you want us to go. Father, we need your help. I pray in this time with an altar open. If we need to pray, come pray. If we need to share, come share. We just need to, Father, do business right where we are to do that. But, Father, give us open hearts to you that we might, Lord, respond to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.